You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mynewcity.church. Well, my friends, Ruth chapter one, we're going to be continuing on in our series. We just started a couple of weeks ago here in the book of Ruth. If I can first say thank you so much for the way that you have cared for my family over the last week, last Thursday, we, well, two Thursdays ago, we welcomed our daughter, Eden Grace Volkening into the world. And she's the coolest person in the world. She's so great. She's been incredible and, um, and mom is healthy, baby's healthy, everything's going really, really well. So just covet your continued prayers for our family in this season. I was like, man, I hope I can string like five or six intelligent sentences together on Sunday because you know the newborn phase of life. But man, we're just so grateful um, that y'all are here. And man, I would be it would just be a terribly missed opportunity to not say thank you to my wife. She couldn't be here this morning because she's home with with a little baby, but she is the secret sauce that is New City, and I could not do this work without her, and so I'm so grateful for um, her serving the Lord the way that she has done that. We long to be a church that gives this city a taste of the coming kingdom reality. We want to be a church where, in, in essence, people are getting a, an appetizer for the coming meal that is Jesus in his glory returning into this world. That's exactly the kind of church that we want to be. And when we, when we put down roots and moved into at least a semi-permanent facility here um, on Fox Drive, we knew one thing was going to be critical for us to hold on to. The building wasn't the mission. Hear me, the building matters. Like we're going to use this building to train disciples, to send church planters, to bless our community, however we can do it. But make no mistake. And some of you are like, man, these past two weeks have been hard, like getting all this stuff ready. It's been so hard and so worth it. But I just don't want us to confuse the point here. The point is not a space. The church was never a building. The church has always been people. That is God's calling for us. And so it is a privilege to gather here with you guys this morning. Um, right after we had Eden, I, uh, I remember that, that first night in the hospital is just brutal. If you've, if you've not had a baby yet, it's basically like boot camp just accelerated, right? It's, it's an intense night, feedings every couple of hours. You're up a lot, you're up a lot. And um, for the dads, I mean, I, I'm not complaining because mom just pushed a baby out of her body. So she, she definitely gets dibs on the better bed. I'm not complaining here. But what they give for dads at the hospital is essentially like a futon, but much, much worse. Anybody familiar with the futon? Yeah, Caleb, Caleb Billingsley knows what that's about. And so by the second day, basically every nerve in your lower back is like, is, is ready to just take a vacation from life. It's just kind of done at that point. Um, and so 
by night number two, we had the option to go home after we were in the hospital one night. And I was like, please, baby, like if you're good, if we're good, I cannot wait to sleep in my own bed. There's this, there's this difference of the way that you sleep when you're home versus the way that you sleep when you're anywhere else. There is a perpetual longing in the human heart for home. We don't always know what it looks like, what it means. There's something in us that is drawn, that, that wants to come home, but there are all these barriers. There's all this brokenness. See, you were actually made, your home is to be with God, walking in his purposes. That's what you were made for. That's home, fellowship with him. But when sin entered this world, when rebellion was introduced into the story, when we walked away from God's good created order, guess what happened? Home was lost. And you walk around with a memory of home. But the good news is that Jesus has made a way. He has called us home. See, God is actually going to use the book of Ruth this morning to retell us the story of the gospel. Today's text is all about coming home. Will you read with me in Ruth chapter 1 verse 19? It says this. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi is headed home. If you've been with us in the first chapter, she has spent years sojourning in the land of Moab, to quote Pastor Raiden from last week, the land of the hillbilly cousins of Israel, and they spent this time away from their home, the land that God had promised his people. And in the middle of their sojourning, Naomi loses her husband and she loses her sons. In the ancient world, for a woman, for a woman to lose her sons and her husband was the equivalent of losing her retirement plan, her social security, her health insurance, everything that she needed to be a functioning human being in the world, she had lost. And so she had this overwhelming sense of brokenness that she's coming in with. Naomi's heart and life have been broken. You been there? Broken by life? You see, she comes home. She doesn't come home perfectly, but she comes home. And that's screaming to us, this reality. I just want to, if you're a note taker, here's the main point of the text today. The God who calls us home is gracious enough to meet us where we are. And he's committed enough not to leave us there. You know what I think the most terrifying verse in the whole Bible is? 
Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Like at first blush, it's like, oh, God is going to finish what he started. And that is unbelievably good news. But here's why it's terrifying. God is going to use whatever means are necessary in the economy of this sinful world to finish what he has started in you. And so we want to ask today, what does it look like for God to finish us as he invites us home? Part number one. It's called coming home broken. Let's read verse 19 again. It says, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman, the women said, is this Naomi? Remember, Naomi's a broken woman, right? She's just lost everything. But in the middle of losing everything, she has not lost her God. He is there. He's faithful. It's actually in the beginning of chapter one tells us it is her hope that the Lord has visited the people of Israel during famine that causes her to move. So she's saying, okay, God, God's still at work. She believes. And while she's not lost her belief in the work of God, it's definitely complicated. She's a person. She's a sinner. She's broken. And while she's in the middle of this painful circumstance, recognizing that God is at work somehow makes her suffering even more painful. Why? Because she's looking at the situation and she's going, I know God is sovereign. He is in control of all things. And with that reality, I know he could have stopped it. He could have kept my sons from dying. He could have kept my husband alive. But for whatever reason, he chose not to. And she feels mocked by reality. This is where the seeds of bitterness begin to grow in Naomi's heart. She is trapped between what she knows to be true about God and that the reality of her circumstances don't seem to match what she knows. You felt this, haven't you? When the divorce papers are filed in a world where God loves marriage, like how do those things compute? When your marriage was easy, when you were crazy about each other, but now you're only in it because you promised to be in it, where your feelings don't line up with your covenant commitments. When you lost a loved one too early, and you know in the back of your mind that Jesus has said that death has lost its sting. But if you're honest for a moment, you're going, has it really lost its sting? This is so painful. Naomi and Ruth are walking back to Naomi's homeland after a long absence. And it is the talk of the town. Right there, the text where it says the, t uh, the town was stirred. Think of everybody starting to chatter. Naomi's coming back. It's been 10 years. I haven't seen Naomi. I've got, this is going to disappoint some of you. And this is going to be like, man, you're really old to other people. I got my 10-year high school reunion coming up next year. I just saw a few people sulk. It's okay. It's all right. Um, and it's a weird thing to think about, revisiting that town, right? And as we're all descending on Galatia, Illinois, we'll probably meet at Bondo's Pizza because that's the one place to meet. And the thought of going, man, I wonder how Nathan is doing. 
wonder how Tory is. I wonder all these names start to roll through your head. That's the kind of buzz and electricity that's happening right here. And Naomi is walking into that environment, a town filled with buzz and excitement about her arrival, completely and totally depressed. I mean, who wants to have a party when they've just suffered this way, right? And when everybody else around her begins to celebrate, it only heightens her awareness of the reality. My life will never be the same. I've lost too much. And the Bible tells us that these bitter years have made Naomi unrecognizable. Did you see that? Her friends look at her and they go, is this Naomi? Is this her? Her name means pleasant. That's what Naomi means. And here she is so broken. This is what it means to come home broken, church family. For some of you, the expectations of life versus what you are experiencing are breaking your heart. And brokenness around you is every single place where the world is not yet what it should be. And we're all experiencing it. Your relationships don't go as smoothly as you hoped that they would go. You can't control the desires of your own heart. You can't even want the things that you want to want. This is a brokenness that comes from sin. And it's right here in the middle of this brokenness that God invites us to come home. See, you've got the same decision in front of you that Naomi has in front of her. Where will you take your brokenness? Will you take it into your own heart, which will just fill you with bitterness? Or will you take it home, like Naomi did, where God is calling you? Here's why bitterness is such a temptation when you start to suffer, you start to experience brokenness. Bitterness is actually really useful. You felt that feeling, right? When you're bitter, you begin to close your heart off to people. You begin to close your heart off to God. So like, man, I just don't have to access that part of my heart anymore. And when you close yourself off, you may be safe, but you'll never be home. Alone is alone. It doesn't matter how you slice it. That's what bitterness does to us. But home... I mean, look what God is doing. He is calling Naomi, his daughter, who's just suffered. He's calling her back to the land that she was made for. Bethlehem, this little city, will keep Naomi safe in spite of her broken reality. And friend, the ultimate home that you were made for, unity with Jesus, will repair every broken piece of your life starting now until forever. Coming home broken is the only way to come home. If you wait until you're better, if you wait until the hammer of life isn't swinging down on you any longer, hear me, you will never come. But Jesus is good at dealing with broken people. In fact, that's what we see in the next part of the story, that his people come home very imperfectly. 
very imperfectly. Uh, verse 20, it says, She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi gets around her old high school friends, and the flood of grief and brokenness just bursts open. When you're struggling and a close friend puts their hand on your shoulder and says, like, are you okay? And the waterworks just come out because you're in a place of safety. That's what's happening to Naomi right here. What's going on inside of her just launches out. Don't call me Naomi pleasant. Call me Mara. You know what Mara means? Your Bible probably says in a footnote right there. It means bitter. I used to be pleasant, but don't call me that anymore. I'm not pleasant anymore. I'm bitter now. Why? Because God has crushed my life. What Naomi is doing in this, in this moment, however imperfectly, is what the Bible calls lament. Lament is the practice of taking the deep sorrows on the inside and expressing them on the outside to God. But Naomi's lament is a bit of a mixed bag. She's got some good theology, right? Like God, God is sovereignly working everything together. But here's where her theology breaks down. It is sovereignty. God is in control of everything minus grace. God is in control of everything and he's trying to kill me. That's what Naomi is saying right here. And her layman is broken because ultimately a layman is, is really meant to be aimed at God, to talk to him about the deep brokenness that she's facing. And instead of talking to God, she bursts out talking to the people around her. When we come home imperfectly, friends, a mixed bag of brokenness and struggling along. There are two ditches that we can fall into that we see in her life right here. One, we under lament. We don't do it. This is when we idolize happiness so much that we refuse to be sad over things that should make us sad. Like some of y'all grew up in a home where any kind of negative emotion wasn't okay for you. And so you've been taught, you've been discipled in your life to think if, if something is making me sad, I just need to figure out how to get happy as fast as possible. And then I'll come back to the safety of the fold once I'm happy and put back together. And you transfer that same belief to looking at God thinking, man, if I'm going to come home, what I need to do first is button up all this sorrow that's in my life. I need to get happy and then I can actually come to God and give him my best. You know what? Your best is nothing compared to the worst of Jesus. Everything in your life, Jesus meets perfectly. Jesus actually redeems every human emotion. You know what that means? Some of you today, you need permission from Christ to be sad. Is there something that you need to lament before the Lord, to cry out to him, to tell him that you need to hand him, that you are trying to carry around on your own? 
And when Jesus redeems every human emotion, he does it completely different than the way the world talks about emotions. The world tell you that your emotions should be your compass that tell you where to go. But Jesus says, no, 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 emotions make a terrible compass. Don't follow them. Your emotions are more of a thermometer. They tell you something's going on inside of you, but they're not going to tell you how to get home. The worst thing that you can do when you are suffering, when you are struggling, when you've been broken down by life is follow the wind of your changing emotions. The danger of under lamenting, of not doing it, is unbelief. Because what you'll do is you'll struggle in sadness alone, and then you'll finally believe, like, man, Jesus isn't even in this thing with me. He can't bring redemption. That is a lie of the devil taking root in your heart. That's not true. We are to take everything to our king. And the other ditch that we can fall into, if it's not under lamenting, you know what the other one is? Over lamenting. Like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna dwell on the suffering and the struggle of my life. And the more and more I do it, the more and more I feel sorry for myself, the more and more I feel this sense of like, man, life has been so unfair to me. And guess what? That's probably all true. But ultimately, it's irrelevant. It's not as much about your circumstances as it is about who's with you in your circumstances where you are taking the pain and struggle of your heart. Whether you have over-lamented or you have under-lamented, Jesus still receives us home. Naomi was a mess coming home. She just spewed venom out of her heart as soon as she walked through the door. But she still came home. Is your bitterness over your life keeping you from believing that your father is actually in this with you? Will you just open your heart to him this morning? Friend, if you are in sin, if you are in struggle, if you're experiencing the consequences of living in a broken world and you are waiting until you feel perfectly right about God and perfectly right about your situation to come home to him, again, you will never come. We got to take the mess to Jesus. We got to take it to him. And the last part, I think, is the best news and the most beautiful piece of all, that we are not just coming home in abstract Home is not a place. Home is a person. Look at verse 22. It says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. The word in the Hebrew here that's used for return is often used for the word repent. Repent to turn, to, to change one's mind entirely about a situation. This is the same calling that God gives to you and me, that we are to repent of our sin. We are to turn and say, this is not the way home. The way home is through Jesus. 
And right here, when Naomi is returning, it is a type of repentance. You see, when her family left the promised land to sojourn in Moab, they were demonstrating something. We don't trust God to take care of us here. We have to take care of ourselves. And with a grief-stricken heart, she is turning home and saying, I know I have all this grief. I know I'm broken. I know this is imperfect, but I know that you're the only hope. I know being with you is the one hope that I have of freedom. And in the middle of this mess that is her life, did you notice? It's like she didn't even notice that Ruth is standing by her side. There's Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, standing quietly by her side, who just a few short verses earlier has demonstrated what the Bible calls hesed love to her. She said, I'm going to love you one direction with no escape strategy. See, this is the shape of the love of the gospel. Ruth is freed as grieved as she is by the death of her husband, she would have been able to go get remarried, have children, have a family, have a legacy. But instead of attaching herself to a future, she looks at Naomi, an elderly woman, whose days are dwindling, whose situation is terrible, and said, guess what? I'm going to make your situation my situation. Why? Because I love you and I'll never leave. Do you hear the gospel in there, friend? Jesus took your hopeless station. You were in the bleakest circumstance possible. You were separated from God. You didn't have anything to offer him. You had no way home. Anything that could have brought you into his presence was robbed out of your life. And guess what Jesus did? He said, I'm going to take your situation and make it mine. And as the eternal son of God, I'm going to take my situation and make it yours. For who? For those who come home. That love is demonstrated in the person of Ruth. Naomi's losing her mind and here's Ruth just standing there. Steady. She's, she's actively saying, I don't have anyone. I don't have anything. And here's her friend standing right by her side. Do you see the irony? Friend, this is your story and your brokenness. As alone as you might feel, as bleak as things might feel, Jesus stands ready to give you his station before the Father. She comes into Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. That tells us the famine is over. The rest of the story of Ruth is, the one, is one of God wrapping his arms around the family who imperfectly trusts him. Jesus today, friends, is our better Ruth. And he wants you to come home. He wants you to come home. For some of you, you've, you've spent a season running. You've been moving in the opposite direction. You were headed out to sojourn rather than headed back to the place that you were made for. 
the quickest way to see the mercy of God made real in your life is to repent, to turn, stop trying to get home on your own. It doesn't work. There is one way home. And he has offered himself to you fully and completely. Whether you're believing that for the first time or the hundredth time, we all need to remember that though we are strangers in this world, we are right now at home in Jesus. He can do that. I'm praying we'll be a church that believes it. Let's pray. Lord Christ, you are our home. Any other home that we've put our hope in is a counterfeit, and we confess it. Jesus, for some of us in this room, we don't even... We don't even know what it, it's like to be at home with you yet. And I'm praying that this morning, that, they would, that person would stop running away and would start running to you. Lord, it is this love of the gospel that changes us. We're thankful. Thank you for the people of God to help us work this stuff out in community. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, friends, we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. We don't want to look at the, at the mirror that is the word and then look away and forget what we're hearing right here. And so we want to do business with Jesus. And so here in New City, there are some key ways that we really try to help you respond to the word. First and foremost is to reflect. I mean, ask yourself this morning, where, where are you broken that you're not coming home to Jesus, but you're taking it somewhere else? Like, where do you need to run to him? Reflect. What is God speaking into your heart through his word this morning? What, how is he calling you to a new, a new place of obedience a new belief. The second thing that we do is we remember. We take the Lord's Supper here at New City. This is a meal reserved for followers of Jesus where we remember and say, through grape juice and bread, we are remembering that your grace is as real as those things are real in the world. And so when you come to that table, you are remembering in that moment that you are, in fact, home. That in Christ, you have everything that you need. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to take that moment instead to reflect. Ask your friend who brought you, like, why, why did you take that meal? Why was that important to you? Or maybe you need to believe the gospel for the first time in this moment and take the Lord's Supper as a Christian for the first time. And then number three, the last thing that we do is we rehearse. That's what we call singing around here. Every time we lift our voices, we are experiencing a dress rehearsal for heaven. And so we're going to sing our ever-loving heads off to King Jesus here in just a moment. So church family, respond when you're ready. I love you.